You're listening to the Happy People Podcast with Nye Armstrong. We're continuing our series with Sheikh Yasser Rajas. Today we're going to talk about connection and also we're going to go over the importance of Ramadan and what you should be doing and why it's so special. Enjoy. It's super informative and I loved every minute of it. Let's connect with happy people. Can you sit like that? Me? Mm-hmm. I don't know. As long as it's, it can take. <laughs> <laughs> My legs would be numb in like 10 seconds. No. <laughs> I mean, I grew up sitting like this. So yeah. It's, uh, it's natural. So um, the muscles, I think they're just... Uh, they're just attuned. Adjusted, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is the same thing with the tongue. Do you know that the difference between bilingual, trilinguals, and, and, and people with one language because when you grow up with multiple languages, your uh, uh, your tongue muscle and the mouth muscle in general, mm-hmm. they attune to that to that. So they kind of like become easier, flexible, switching from one language to the other one. Mm-hmm. But if you learn a language uh, in an old age, like myself, for example, learning a different language at an old age, uh, you can't. So that's why you keep an accent. Mm. It's because your muscles are already stiffened, you know, and 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 that's it. They're hard. You can't uh, readjust them again. Unless, of course, you practice over and over again, over and over again, until you just nailed it. Now, do you think in Arabic or do you think in English? Depends on who you're talking to. Interesting. I never thought about that. Oh, I always think about Don't that. Don't confuse me, please. <laughs> <laughs> I think it becomes natural right now. Yeah. So Just to switch. Cause, yeah. yeah. I, I never thought about it, but now I'm going to start trying to... I'll, I'll ask you, mess you it in up a week. For me. <laughs> I'll ask you in a week. <laughs> No. Alhamdulillah. Uh, okay, well, thank you so much for um, taking time again. Um, it's very appreciated. Honestly, with that last one, it like I knew some things, but sometimes you just need reminders. And those were some pretty powerful ones. So Alhamdulillah, yeah, I definitely yeah. needed them. So for this one, we're just going to talk more like the connection between you and God and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So these are the questions that were sent in. Are prayers and du'as said in English as effective as being said in Arabic? Well, um, the Arabic language is not a sacred language. Mm -hmm. I know people, they believe that it is because the Quran was revealed in Arabic. Uh, There's narrations or some statement that the people of Jannah will be speaking Arabic. Now, what's unique about the Arabic language, it's a very sophisticated language, and it's, I would say, it's a perfect language in that sense. Otherwise, Allah would not reveal the Quran in the Arabic language. Mm -hmm. Those who don't know the Arabic language might not know what we're talking about, but frankly, if you study the Arabic language enough, you would realize how powerful this language is. Yeah. So, therefore, uh, uh, it's a powerful language, no doubt about it. And that's why when you make a supplication or a dua in Arabic, uh, the meaning that are, that, uh, that uh, uh, are included in that statement are very, very uh, powerful, very comprehensive and, and inclusive. Yeah. But when you say it in English, sometimes you're going to need a longer statement to say something that can be said in one or two words. Right. That's why the Arabic dua is more powerful. But for those who understand the Arabic language, but if you don't get, if you don't understand the Arabic language, then the dua or supplication. Make that dua in a language that you understand. That's from your heart. Because it's supposed to be coming from the heart. Right. Even if you have the fanciest, you know, uh, uh, melodious voice, 
or even uh, uh, dua that rhymes very well, if, if it's in, in a language that you don't understand, what's the point of it? Yeah. So the best dua is the one that comes from the heart. It doesn't matter what language it is, and you should be fine with that. Mm-hmm. No. And you can sort of, you can pray in other in your native language as well. Well, in terms of salah, yeah. we talk about the salah, the five daily prayers, mm-hmm. you have to do it in the Arabic language. Because the, the Qiraat al-Qur'an, the recitation of the Qur'an, doing the, 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 the words of remembrance that are supposed to be done in the position of, of prayers, mm-hmm. this needs to be done in Arabic. But then the supplication part, which is what we call it prayers in English, yeah. uh, or we call dua in Arabic, that can be said in any language you, you can. Let's say you're praying two rak'ah, so you need to recite the Qur'an in Arabic, obviously, and then when you go to the ruku'ah, bowing down position, a prostration position, you do the dhikr, the words of remembrance, subhanahu ala or subhanahu Then, after that, it's open for you to start making your supplication in the language that you speak. Mm-hmm. Because what's the point? What's mm-hmm. the point of me having a spiritual connection with God, with Allah Azza wa Jal, but I don't even have the medium to connect with Him? Mm-hmm. Which is the, I can't even express myself to Him freely in my prayers. So therefore it's okay. Some scholars, they have some restriction regarding the, the obligatory prayer. So they say you need to keep that in Arabic. And you can do in the uh, optional prayers anything else you can say that in English or any language that you speak if you want to. But there's really no, no conclusive you know, distinction between both. Wallah. Right. I have a question. As somebody who does pray in Arabic, how do you retain that connection to the words that don't really mean a lot mm-hmm. uh, they're just honestly sometimes just sounds yes. uh, but how do you how do you retain that connection uh, it's a tough it's a tough thing obviously if you repeat something that you have no clue what it means mm-hmm. but I have seen some people who memorize some of the Quran and they don't understand Arabic language but when they recite it it moves them mm-hmm. Because the barakah and the power of the Qur'an really is not just in understanding it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of power in the Qur'an itself, in hearing it, reading it, um, applying it to you know your body as what we call ruqya, which means uh, for healing purposes and so forth. There is so much power in the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if you don't understand the Arabic language, as a recommendation, I always recommend for the brothers and sisters when they uh, want to learn the dua and so on, if they can teach themselves, you know, to memorize some of what we call them keywords. These mm. keywords are very common in almost every dua or supplication. So, for example, a word such as Allahumma, mm-hmm. which is the beginning of your dua. When you, when you start, you know, pleading your case to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And just like raising your hand and say Allahumma means, oh, the, the word Allahumma means, oh Allah. It's just like the two words together, but in the Arabic it's pronounced Allahumma. And then the words such as Igfirli, for example. So we know the word Igfir, very common word, has to do with forgiveness. So whether I hear the word Ghafur, Igfir, Ghafir, it's all about forgiveness. So I can relate to it even though I don't understand the Arabic language. Mm. If I say Irhamni, so the Rahma, mercy. So Rahim, Rahman, Irhamni, Marhum, it's all about mercy. So I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And then I would learn at some point the word the, the sound that comes at the end of words such as ni, irham ni, irfir li. So the e sound at the end of these words, I start related to it as being personal thing. So for me, I'm speaking to Allah subhanahu wa taala about me. So I say irfir li, like the word me in English, 
اغفر لي ارحمني that e is actually you speak about yourself but if you want to talk about us you see you seek in that dua you make the supplication for for everybody you say ارحمنا اغفر لنا so the a is basically for everybody else so these kind of like very subtle things mm-hmm. if you learn them slowly and gradually even if you don't understand the arabic language you can tell it speaks you know in the form of a plural versus singular masculine versus feminine and then if it's something that you can relate to yeah uh, this is part of what we call it sarf in the arabic language which means it's uh, it's more like the the form, uh, morphology of the language in which you learn the structure of the words and and something unique about the arabic language the arabic language is a very 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 logical language which means the structure of the words has certain certain design to it and they come in certain format and it has its own its own uh, uh, algorithm and its own you know geometry basically if you look at it from that perspective it's beautiful if you could learn it it will open a huge window of knowledge that you have never had access to before mm-hmm. no. i would love to go down that path with you would you want to do like maybe a series to connect with keywords i hope so i mean at, at some point i was really thinking to bring that knowledge to the masjid here as well that'd be awesome and have sessions on that because this is what i used to teach when i was actually in uh, in bosnia mm. uh, i used to teach my students that and in short in a very short time they were able to speak the arabic language mashallah alhamdulillah alhamdulillah um okay so next question so i'm going to hold you to that I'm okay gonna, well, <laughs> it's already on, uh, on it's record on tape. <laughs> Um, okay, so if you can't fast and pray, mm. how can a person still feel connected during Ramadan? Well, there's so many ways you can stay connected to the Ramadan, even if you're not fasting. I mean, for me, I always ask specifically the sisters when they have their period that they're not able to, to fast. I said, this is your chance and your time to start dedicating extra time for uh, understanding the Quran, learning a new dua. Or maybe uh, find your spirituality in something much more practical and pragmatic. Like not all of us really have the energy to wake up at night and make supplications or prayers and so on. So, but some of us might have their energy in uh, seeing the joy on the face of other people when I feed them. Mm-hmm. So I dedicate some time to go and help the the poor and the needy, or even you know uh, go and feed in in a, in a homeless shelter, for instance, or even actually make food, put it in boxes. And go hand it over to people, for example. Give yeah. it to send to other people's uh, places. Even though it's cooking, even though it's preparing meals and so on, but with the good intentions of doing that, that itself is, is, is a very powerful spiritual moment. Yeah. So uh, when it comes again to spirituality, a lot of people focusing on few things. The Quran, reading the Quran. So I can't read now, so what do I do? I can't pray, what do I do? Yeah, there's a lot you could do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot you could do. If not in terms of reading tafsir, reading translation, um, hearing the Quran, you can do that. You hear some, you know, talks about the Quran itself. Learn a new, uh, a new thing. Learn words, mm-hmm. uh, keywords of the Quran, for example, until you're ready to read again. And alhamdulillah, you have gained maybe 10, 15 words. So there's so many things we could do from that perspective. The other thing is uh, the practical part of it. Okay, mm-hmm. I can't read. I cannot do that stuff. So let me then... Uh, do some Ramadan stuff, charity, help, you know, feed the, the needy or the poor, or even my friends, something like that. Whenever yeah. I, when I'm fasting, it's like, because when you break somebody else's fast, mm. you get 
You get the same reward. Get the same reward. You get double the reward, basically. Yeah. And so when I'm fasting, or when I'm not fasting, I, like, for example, I had, um, I cooked my friend's iftar. Mm. And I was like, and I just grabbed all of that buttercup. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's still, yeah. you're still connected with Ramadan. Exactly. So Ramadan is the spirit, really. Yeah. Uh, it's the spirit of it. There's and nothing, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. No, no matter how much we try to tell people about it, it's more like a supernatural experience, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a super, a super intelligent experience. You have to live it to feel it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like Hajj, for example. No matter how much, uh, how many times you ask people, how was it when they come back from Hajj? Their answer, the most common answer I get from people is just like, you know what? I can't describe it. You have to be there to feel it. Mm-hmm. Similarly with love. You know, no matter how much you try to explain to people what love is, you said, you know what, you cannot until you, you, you're there. Similarly, when it comes to the spirit of Ramadan, no matter how much we talk about it, I mean, you can fast after Ramadan, right? Yeah. You fast after, you fast before. It's, it's such a different experience. It's not the same. It's really not there the same. There is nothing like that. Mm-mm. And that's a blessing. I wish we can really transfer that to the world. Yeah. I wish. It's... Uh, I remember my first couple. I, I I didn't, I didn't really like uh, hook into that feeling as well. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't honestly. It wasn't until I moved down here. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just being part of a community. It doesn't mean th- this place could be mimicked throughout the entire world. Yes. Um, but being part of a proactive community was just mind blowing, and it completely blew open what I thought Ramadan should be and could be. It was no. just amazing. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. We ask Allah to keep us firm on this and continue to uh, to do the best we can during um, the month of Ramadan. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Um, how do you raise good Muslims in America and or other non-Muslim countries? I mean, again, it's a, it's a life journey. Mm-hmm. Um, people have to understand it's that we are not responsible for the results. We're only responsible for the effort. So to raise a good person, a good Muslim, yani, it's really the focus should always be on the manners and the akhlaq. Obviously, the best manners and akhlaq is between you and your creator. So maintaining the prayers and salah and fasting and the hijab for women and all that stuff and so on, that's part of having good manners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. The second, which is why I always try to you know, shift people's attention when it comes to salah and fasting and these things, a lot of people, they, they think of them as rituals, obligations, taklif, as we call it in Arabic language, which means they're taklif. The word taklif means it's an obligation that you have to fulfill, right? Mm-hmm. But I need people to think about it differently. When it comes to the month of, when it comes to the fasting and salah and this and that, it's not just a matter of being responsibility. It's an opportunity to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's your, 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 your spiritual connection with Allah Azza wa Jalla. It's your good manner, showing your gratitude, your manners to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what it means. Then the, the second thing comes also the other ibadah, the other, the other akhlaq, which is basically our relationship with the creation. So our relationship with the creator should be sound. And our relationship with the creation should also be sound. What's the meaning of that part? That's when akhlaq and manners come in. So if we're going to raise good Muslims, it's not really about how much knowledge they have, as much how much of it they practice. Which is why, if you look in the past, our scholars didn't have that many books that we have today. Mm-hmm. But the impact they left in the world is still, you know, affecting us today. Mm-hmm. And as much knowledge as we have today and the easy access to it, 
I don't think we're even having a fraction of the impact that they had on the world back then. Why? Because the blessing and the barakah. It's not about the the the, the magnitude. It's about really the the uh, the barakah, the blessing that that gets into into it. So it's not about how many. It's the effect of it. So again, if you want to raise a, Muslim, a good Muslim, you have to think about that. Now, based on this principle, you start looking. Okay, what do I need to do in order to provide that for my children? for my friends, for the new Muslims, and so on. That's when you start tailor the, the, the environment based on that. So if people, they think that it's all about, you know, making your prayers regularly, wearing the hijab all the time, this and that, that means I'm going to put them in an environment that only promotes this and focuses mainly on that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we do that in a harsh way. Yeah. You know, like, like, a, like a mom or a dad, for example, they come to their kids who are very loud and they want to keep them quiet. So what do they do? They yell at them. Keep quiet. And then the kids is like, well, you're yelling. I'm not yelling. <laughs> right? What's the point of that? Yeah. So the same thing. So to raise a good Muslim, inshallah, ta'ala, we focus on this. And then obviously we start doing gradually. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Very important. Two things that are very important for to have, you know, um, uh, a healthy upbringing for our children. Number one is the environment. So you have them in a good company, good place, good community, like you said. Number two, good role models. You have to you you have to let your kids see what you're calling for that it's it's doable and it's possible. And it's hard in our time, specifically in this time of ours. It's extremely extremely difficult to find role good role models for ourselves and our children. So we do our best. If we couldn't find some someone who's alive. Mm-hmm. Then we try to bring them to role models from, from the past. But we have to also be very careful with that because we don't want to over-idealize the past for our children to the extent that they start feeling desperate. Like if you all want me always to be like Ibn Abbas, Aisha radiallahu anha, Abdullah ibn Umar, the Sahaba, the companions, for me just like, then good luck with that. Mm-hmm. I would never be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But we need them to understand some of the companions were scholars. Some were worshippers, some were warriors, some were farmers, average people. And they were not all perfect in that sense. So therefore, we give them the best example, but do your best. And we're only responsible for the effort, not for the results. What should I do if I can't bring myself to do the basics of my faith? Well, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he said that uh, uh, every, every moment or every deed that you do has a peak. You can reach the peak and the pinnacle of it. And after you reach the, the, the pinnacle on the top, then you have a decline. Fatra. The word fatra comes from futur. Futur is when you feel exhausted. And it, you start, the, the energies are wearing out a little bit. So you get to this moment of fatigue, basically. So the Prophet, he says, فَمَنْ كَانَتْ فَتْرَتُهُ إِلَى سُنَّتِهُ Whoever's decline or moment of fatigue stays above the sunnah of the Prophet, which means you need to draw a red line for yourself. Mm-hmm. They say, I don't cross this line. فَقَدْ اهْتَدَى If this person maintains that minimum, then they're good. Right. You're still in the guided. وَمَنْ كَانَتْ إِلَىٰ غَيْرِ ذَلِكَ But if you cross that line, فَقَدْ ضَلْ Then you are now heading to a different path of misguidance. So the advice is to, for the brothers and sisters who are going through this fatigue, 
We should know that we, they're not the only people who are going through this. But there is no doubt about it. You need to teach yourself to keep standards. I have to keep my standard. Like, you know what? I know myself. I'm weak. I make mistakes. I have my own little sins here and there and so on. So I have these things. and then, oh, We all always have that stuff. But I have a standard, which means I don't cross this line. One of my lines that I don't cross ever, alhamdulillah, is the five daily prayers. No matter how I should feel myself, you know, unworthy of the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal, or I made, a, I, made a, I made a big mistake, this and that. No matter how ugly in that moment you feel you are, never ever let the shaitan deceive you and tell you, you should not supposed to pray. Mm-hmm. So for me, the prayers, the five daily prayers is a red line. You can't cross that. Anything else besides that, negotiable. Right. But the five daily prayers, you should never ever quit that so if someone is reaching that level of fatigue they're unable to do that and even salah is becoming very hard and difficult for them I really really want for for them and ask them to go and and talk to somebody Mm -hmm. they have to talk to somebody a spiritual healer an imam who has a sense of spirituality because not every imam has that really they might have the knowledge but they don't have the way to lead so these are spiritual heroes, healers. They're very unique, really. So look for someone who can, who can help with that, inshallah. Ta'ala. And then slowly and gradually start with the little things. Whatever you can do, do it. Like words of dhikr. Uh, I don't want to say force yourself, but you know what? Sometimes you're going to have to keep pushing yourself, keep pedaling, otherwise you lose balance and fall. Mm-hmm. Until, inshallah, you master the skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, How do you keep going after a tragedy different is not an easy thing you know people go through a lot of different tragedies obviously the first thing I would always recommend for people is to allow themselves to grieve because sometimes they hear from people no you should not do this it's okay to grieve Mm -hmm. that's fine Uh, let the people cry let the people you know kind of express their uh, their emotions and feelings but at the same time, we're going to have to keep a standard, like we said. Like, I would never speak ill about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or Allah azza wa jal. You know, I, I wonder, but I wouldn't say bad things about Allah's judgment for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing what we do is try to do what we call damage control. When it comes to damage control, it depends where the damage happened. If the damage happened in, in, in my spirituality, I need that spiritual healer. If the damage is happening in my psychology, I need to go to um, a therapist, really, to work on it. Mm-hmm. If the damage happened physically, then definitely I go to a doctor to, to deal with that situation. We need to do the damage control. And uh, subhanAllah, the emotional damage, obviously, is, is probably maybe the hardest because the overlasting. I mean, people, they might recover physically. They might start limping, but they survive and they move on. But with the emotional crisis, it's hard to, uh, uh, to forget. Why? Because the brain is very clever. It's designed to protect us. And if we never had an emotional closure on things, the brain keeps worrying about them forever. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's not easy for people to move out of their tragedies. So the next step after, of course, consulting with people to help you out to get out of it, is you need to start training yourself, or maybe with the help of these uh, uh, healers, uh, to do emotional closure. Because without emotional closure, the brain is going to keep worrying about it forever. Mm. 
So we're going to have to do that. It's a mental decision that needs to be done. Uh, and it's going to take a while. So how long do people go through this? It depends on the strength of their iman, the strength of their heart, the strength of their, you know, of, uh, of their skills, and also the environment. Yeah. If they have friends around, if they have a supportive you know, group, and, or if they're on their own. So those who are alone, I always recommend for them to go and start looking for support group community, family members, friends, whoever they are, um, uh, and not allow themselves to stay alone for too long. Although Mm -hmm. it it feels great to be alone in that moment in time, but uh, the effect of it in the future might be damaging. Yeah, you can wallow for only so so Uh, long. Of course. And and, and the last thing, obviously, once we get to this point, inshallah, I hope people start realizing, okay, I need to reconnect with Allah. You know, Allah says in the Quran, فَفِرُّوا إِلَى اللَّهِ Run away back to Allah. You see, it's a, it's a paradoxical statement because in Arabic, even when you say fafirra, which means when you run, you say run away from. But here Allah says run away back. Mm. Because you understand if you fear Allah, where would you go? Back to Him. Mm-hmm. And no matter what happens in our lives, we have to accept that this is maybe part of the test. And as a result, I need to try to solve the situation, fix it, but at the end, I'm only responsible for making the effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the last 10 nights, what would be your biggest recommendation for people to focus on? Individual experience. A lot of people, they come in the last 10 nights in Ramadan to enjoy the gathering. No doubt about it, it's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. I, I don't deny it. Yet. It's a beautiful, amazing. But uh, the last 10 nights are supposed to be individual experience. You're going to have a lot of time with people. But in the last 10 nights, it should be as individual as it can be. The Prophet Muhammad, he used to do itikaf, which is basically detain himself voluntarily in the masjid at night and the day. But especially at night, he had his own small chamber, like a small tent, camping tent, basically, in which he spent his time mostly over there to avoid being in contact with the people until he comes out to lead a prayer for the night prayers. But after that, he goes back again his, uh, his tent. So individual experience. Because spirituality in its essence is really nothing but an individual individual experience. And if you don't have that personal connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you only feel the connection with Allah when the people are around you, that's a disaster. Because they're not going to last forever around you. You're going to go somewhere where you'll be by yourself. And if you don't have that strength, and that strong connection on individual level with Allah becomes hard and difficult to maintain. So the last 10 nights is the opportunity to have this personal connection. Now, don't take me wrong. I'm not saying not to socialize or not to be around people, but I would say balance it. Mm-hmm. Spend some time here, spend some time there. Yeah. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll have time a little bit later that we can do more questions because there's more coming. <laughs> Inshallah, we can do that. Inshallah. Yeah, inshallah, and I definitely want to start a series with you. I think it will be super beneficial to the people that listen. Inshallah. Inshallah, Jazakallah khair. All right, Jazakallah khair. Barakallahu bikum, Inshallah. Salam alaikum.